Hi, you're now listening to Let's Talk Trees, a podcast brought to you by C4N eCraft with me, Anggi Cahyaning Diaz. Today, we are going to discuss the burning questions regarding energy sector in Africa, where wood fuel remains one of the major energy source. So today, I have Posiso Sola with me. She is a scientist at eCraft working on natural resources governance, bioenergy, and sustainable agroforestry value chain. Hi, Sola. Very happy to have you. Hi, Angie. Nice meeting you too. Yeah, how are you? I'm good. Nice weather in Nairobi. Great. Okay, so let's get to our main discussion, yeah? So you're currently focusing on the governance of wood fuel in African dryland. Any personal reason that you are into this issue? Actually, the first time it really struck me was when I, I first went to Zambia, when I started working in Zambia, and I saw all these piles and piles of charcoal and what came to my mind was how is this charcoal being produced how many trees were cut for for this bag so in my mind it was more about really environmental impacts and that this has to be stopped but now that i've delved into this issue i'm actually thinking it would be a fallacy to even think about stopping uh, production and use of charcoal in africa And then connecting my story of seeing that charcoal in Zambia, mm-hmm. I stepped back into where I grew up. I grew up in, in, a, in a rural area that was well endorsed with, with, with trees. So we really never saw that energy would be a problem, that firewood is a problem because there were always lots of trees when we grew up in, in, in the village. And you'll find that in most uh, African countries we've by location. So you have a home in the village and you have a house in town. So we were also uh, moving between the two. So when we went to the city, there was always electricity to cook with because at that time, Zimbabwe always had subsidized electricity. So we all had electric cookers. We never had to cook with firewood or with charcoal, except if there is a, a power cut or when, the, the, when there is load shedding. So when I grew up, energy was never re- really the the issue it maybe it was more about food security and so on but when i started working in the field of forestry and, and working in the different countries then i realized that actually energy is an issue in most of these cities people don't have access to electricity even if people have access it's ridiculously expensive people cannot cook with elect- with, uh, with electric cookers because they can't afford it so Even now, 60% of people in sub-Saharan Africa have no access to, to electricity. And, and therefore, that's why there is this heavily reliance. Of course, it could be a choice, but it's really about connectivity. It's not really that people want to be using it. Of course, the cultural test is there, but it's really about access, about connectivity, about alternatives. Mm, I see. Can you explain about the environmental impact of this problem? Yeah, increasingly, um, wood fuel, especially charcoal production and trade, is, has been associated with deforestation, with uh, um, climate change impacts, but it also has very positive socioeconomic impacts because it employs uh, many people, people are employed, it's a major source of income for many rural um, households, and it's a, it's a major energy source for many urban poor households. Hmm. The reason why it's, it has these huge environmental impacts is that we, 
the people or the actors within the value chain are using wrong practices and wrong technologies. So trees are being cut. They are being cut to actually carbonize them to produce charcoal. And they are being, the technology used is very poor. You can use as much as one ton of wood, 12 tons of wood to just produce one ton of, um, of, of charcoal. So you, you, there is loss of wastage, which really drives to unnecessary tree cutting. So it leads to deforestation, and we know deforestation does contribute to greenhouse, uh, greenhouse gas emissions at the cutting phase. At the carbonization phase, that low efficiency of the uh, kill to carbonize also contributes to the greenhouse gas emissions. As we transport it to the cities, there isn't much of, a, uh, of um, an environmental impact there, but the cooking using the wood fuel, especially firewood, is worse than actually charcoal. It also contributes to environmental impacts and leads to some respiratory uh, diseases as well. So it, it does have those uh, negative impacts on the environment as well as, as on, on, on the people. Hmm, I see. Is there any community groups that are more vulnerable or susceptible to this energy problem? Very much so. Energy will always be a gender issue. It is the women that have to go out there and fetch firewood and cook the meal. And increasingly, women are involved in the charcoal value chain because they have no other alternatives of uh, income generation. Because they are part of a charcoal producing household, they are involved in the production and trade. But once you have uh, limited access to energy, whether it's in the rural areas or in the cities. Women are then faced with challenges of saying, should we skip a meal so that we can preserve this charcoal or this firewood for a better meal in the evening, which affects the children, which least can lead or contribute to mal malnutrition. Women have to spend more time looking for firewood in the villages once the landscape is deforestated because of charcoal, because of agricultural conversion, then they don't have time to invest in productive activities that could give them more income, that could increase their social status, and it, it, therefore they, they are disfranchised. Uh, even their participation within uh, some income generating activities are compromised. So it is a, 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 a gender issue. In some instances, we are told children skip school, especially girls because they have to go and fetch firewood. One big example is that in Africa, we have many refugee camps right now, especially in East Africa. We have many refugee camps. I've been working in refugee camps. When you get there, that's when it really hits you that energy should be a right. Energy access should be a right. People don't have access to energy. Landscapes around refugee camps are deforested. They have to travel even longer for them to access energy. And I mean, firewood, and then they are exposed to violence, um, gender-based violence, as they collect firewood. Mm, I see. It seems like this is a very complex problem, yeah? But uh, what about the governance then? Is it legal to use wood fuel like uh, firewood and charcoal? It's, it's very interesting and very complex. Um, firewood sourced from dead trees is very legal in all African countries. But then increasingly, people are cutting live trees, especially those that are involved in the firewood trade. They are cutting live trees, drying them, and selling them, uh, especially in the city. That is 
illegal in all countries because it really leads to lots of deforestation. Charcoal on the other side is illegal, illegal. And uh, many countries have put up funds to try and stop charcoal production and trade, even domestic charcoal production and trade, but that has failed. And really the main thing is that there are no alternatives. Therefore, there is a policy of tolerance where charcoal production and trade becomes allowed. Right now, many countries have put up some legal frameworks to guide production and trade in charcoal. But in many instances, that legal framework is not followed. So people are supposed to have uh, certificates to, to allow them to produce charcoal. They are supposed to have moving licenses to allow them to move charcoal from production size to the cities. And in most cases, that is not done. So you find that 90% of the charcoal produced and traded in Africa is actually illegally produced and traded. It is allowed, and I use the word allowed, because there aren't any alternatives. And government can see that there is need for LPG, there is need for grid uh, electricity, but it is not available. And therefore, that policy, policy of, of tolerance. And this exposes the whole value chain to corrupt practices where people now buy their way out. And then you legalize one part of the value chain and you criminalize the other part of the value chain. And this comes in especially where outsiders or migrants come in to camp within the, the production sites and produce charcoal indiscriminately. Locals will always do selective cutting for, for charcoal production. But when you, when you have traders, migrant traders coming in, they are the ones that actually lead to indiscriminate cutting. And that's what really needs lots of licensing and it's not happening right now. Um, one thing that is really illegal across all countries is export of charcoal. Cross-border trade of charcoal is illegal. Right now, it's being done everywhere without any documentation, without any licensing. It's illicitly done sometimes, but it's also done in broad daylight. And no enforcement is really being, uh, is really being affected there. So it's really a complex issue. In the end, it's illegal and it's illegal in some, in some cases. I see. So it's not only a problem of one country, but uh, like a big problem in the region, yeah? Yes. Okay, so based on your work, um, do you have any proposed solution to this? Yeah, we've been working with the C4 and other partners and really to try and see whether we can make a difference. And so what we have said is that we would like to promote a green and sustainable wood fuel value chain. And our major focus is really coming up with the sustainable charcoal value chain because Firewood has very short value chains. It's really within the village, it's within the next urban center. It's too bulky to transport. So it's only the charcoal that has moved from the, 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 the closest urban center to cities as far as 300 kilometers away, which is being transported. So our major focus there is how do we make these value chains green? How do we make the whole value chain uh, sustainable? Right now, we, we have a project which is funded by the, the European Union, uh, DEFCO, which is called the, the Governing uh, Multifunctional Landscapes. And in that project, we have a dedicated 
wood fuel component. This project is being led by CIFO, collaborating with ECRAF, uh, FAO, GIZ, and other uh, local partners and NGOs. In this project, what we are trying to do is to promote sustainable, competitive wood fuel value chains in the countries of Cameroon, uh, DRC, Kenya, and Zambia. So what we have tried to focus on is uh, sourcing of the, of the wood that is used for charcoal. In Kenya, what we are trying to do is to promote the use of invasive species Prosopis tuliflora. We are promoting it as a wood fuel source. It's already there in the environment. We are not saying people plant it. We are not promoting that it should be expanded, but it's already there, very aggressive, covering several counties within Kenya. And there is some information which projects that with the amount of prosopis that is there, you can supply Kenya with wood fuel for the next 10 years if it's sustainably managed. So we are trying to come up with ways of how this prosopis can be managed, how it can be carbonized if efficiently to supply uh, the markets and take off the pressure from the indigenous woodlands. Okay, yeah, so, so that's Kenya. Um, what about other countries? Um, for instance, in Zambia, we have Miombo woodlands. The Miombo woodlands tend to recover a little bit faster than other uh, types of woodlands. So we are monitoring that. And this is a very helpful information and very important because in most areas, you cannot plant trees. It's really trees take long to plant. But if people have information of how they can assist trees to regenerate faster and regrain the landscape, that will, will, will really help. What we're also doing in Zambia, because right now Zambia is supplying the region with charcoal. As I said before, cross-border trade is happening everywhere, even if it's not very legal. We're also looking at um, the regional perspective. Wood fuel use, especially charcoal in Africa, is not a national issue. It is a regional issue. It is a continental issue. And we are happy that even the African Union has, has actually recognized that they've actually put out a document to recognize that we need a continental strategy for wood fuel. So we are working with regional bodies like in Zambia, we have initiated a process with the SATA communities to look at outflows, especially from Zambia. Right now, Zambia is supplying almost the whole region with, with charcoal. How can that be managed so that you reduce deforestation within, within Zambia? We're also looking at Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania borders, and we, we, we have some antidotal information that we even have charcoal coming as far as South Sudan feeding into the, into the Kenyan market. But most of all, especially for me coming from the governance perspective, how do we deal with illegality? Um, we have a lot of charcoal also coming from Cameroon, feeding into Nigeria, feeding in, in, into, into, into Chad. How is that managed? So looking at those four countries working on this project uh, with C4 and FAO, we are saying, how do we support the different policy and legal frameworks that have been developed in these countries to really streamline, guide, control how charcoal is produced and put on the market? Working together with other organizations that are promoting efficient cooking, how can we increase adoption of efficient stoves? Because if you are using an efficient stove, you use less charcoal, therefore less trees will be cut and more trees will remain in, in, in the landscape. And, and more women and children will not be affected 
by the, the, the particulates that actually are emitted from, from cooking with wood fuel. We're also trying to see if we could work with sawmillers in, in Cameroon and DRC to come up with briquettes. So it's not just trying to look at wood uh, I mean charcoal production from, from the wood, but to diversify wood fuel products to say, how can we produce briquettes from the sawdust and put it into the market? And all that will reduce pressure on the indigenous woodlands. So this address uh, many parts of the value chain here, um, from the production uh, and the forest to the kitchen. Okay. Okay. So among all those aspects, is there any uh, particular one that is more important than others? Yeah. It, it's really <laughs> difficult to say this is more important than the other uh, because we would like to address the whole value chain from the tree to the table or to the taste that people really want to preserve. Um, it's not only households that are, are putting pressure on, on, on the forest and, and the environment in terms of energy demands. It's also institutions, schools, uh, small enterprises, bakeries, eateries, fish smoking in most of our coastal cities use a lot of wood. So really the important thing is to develop appropriate technologies for using wood fuel, for producing and using wood fuel. Uh, what I'm saying is the governance and the institutional mechanisms supporting, guiding and controlling wood fuel production and use are the key to solving this problem. We need investments within the subsector. We need technical support. We need incentives even to bring in private sector. This is amazing. This is one um, uh, sector which is worth billions but with no private sector players. How do we make that happen? To make it more efficient, to make it more competitive, to make it more sustainable. I really think we need to improve the governance systems. Hmm, wonderful. Um, my last question to wrap things up, Sola. Do you have any call to action? It can be for consumers, to the government, or anyone related to this issue. I, mm. I really want to say that in the short and medium term, there is need to invest in making charcoal value chains green and sustainable and competitive in Africa. Transition to clean cooking is a long way of coming. Because in Africa, we cook our food. We boil our food. Salads on the menu are not that much. So really, there is no food security without energy security for us. It's really um, not about transition or no transition, but it's really to make sure that we reduce the proportion of charcoal in the household energy mix in order for us to save trees and save lives. Okay, that's a powerful statement to close this podcast. Thank you once again for your time, Sola. Thank you very much, Angie. This uh, uh, subject is very close to my heart. Thank you so much. I hope, you know, the issues can be addressed um, uh, very soon, yeah? Uh, so thank you. That's all for today. Uh, thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe on the link provided. See you on the next episode and keep safe, everyone. <laughs>